0: Welcome to the Gray City Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to hello at graycityeugene.com. Here's the podcast.
1: Oh, hey, how's it going? Good to see you guys. You know, I was just thinking, egg hunt at the Rogers farm we could have like a extreme version. Bring scuba gear, get some eggs hidden out in the ponds. I don't know. Just, just thinking how we can spice it up. So, anyway, for those of you that don't know me, not, my name's Chris. I'm the pastor here, and uh, excited to be with you guys uh, this evening. I guess this afternoon. Some of you know, some of you don't, that we've been in the middle of a series called "Beneath the Surface." And our imagery for this is this glorious iceberg that you will be sick of seeing and never want to go on an Alaskan cruise again. But basically, the whole idea of this is like 10% of our lives, what's visible, what we present is like this 10% above the surface. But beneath the surface, that other 90% of our lives is where we really see spiritual maturity and emotional maturity being developed and hopefully contributing to each other. And so we've been talking about various things that have to do with that. And today I'm, I'm really excited about this topic we're touching on because for me in my journey um, and for many people that I've, I've talked with and walked with and discipled over the years, this is a thing that really causes a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear and gets us in this place of analysis paralysis, kind of beneath the surface. And oftentimes we, we don't talk about it because it, it brings up a lot of insecurity and fear, like a lot of things that kind of bring fear. We just kind of stuff it down and we have all these questions but we don't actually talk about it. And that is like, how do I find the will of God? You guys ever ask, like, ask yourself, how do, how do I determine what the will of God is? How do I follow the will of God? And here's what it looked like for me <laughs> until a few years ago. And, uh, and it, it, what happens is you look at any given decision. Don't put the graphic up quite yet. Um, you look at decisions and you think you always have a right decision. Like it's, Okay, I got to pick the right one, and what if I pick the wrong one? Okay, well, I get through stage one, and you just you keep going down this train of this anxiety of I always got to make the wrong decision or I'm going to frustrate God, and it paralyzes us, and it sits beneath the surface, and oftentimes it actually causes us to not even act at all and be able to pursue with freedom what God's calling us to do. And I believe that as we become spiritually mature, we can understand how we, we frame the, the will of God in our lives. And it allows us to mature emotionally because we don't continue to sit in this place of being paralyzed by fear and anxiety and insecurity about if we're making our Heavenly Father mad at us. Is this this resonating at all? This was something that was a big deal for me, and so what I want to do is first I want to break down kind of the, the normal or the prevailing way that the will of God is taught or thought of. So first off, let's pop up this circle. So if we look at this and we say, okay, the will of God, like oftentimes what people think is that black dot in the center, that's like the place of blessing. Out of all the options you have there 's that black dot, and it 's like, okay, if I can determine what that is in any given moment and get it right i 'm in the blessing of God. Now, if I miss that dot just by a little bit then i 've disappointed god i 've disappointed him, and then if I really miss and i 'm out in the red then i 've just plain made God mad, and nobody wants to be there right if you 've read the Old Testament, you know how that works out so like, this, this can cause a lot of fear in us, like, oh my goodness, that is such a small target. How am I going to hit that all the time? Now, let's look at it linearly. I think this is a little more helpful when we pop up this first one. So today, you're faced with three decisions, right? But then tomorrow, what happens? Say you got three more for each of those, right? And then the next one, oh, what's the next decision after that? Oh my goodness, that's a lot of decisions, That's a lot of things. And if we look at the will of God as this next slide, oh my gosh, if that's the right decision, what, how how do I, okay, or, or what about the next one? What if, what if it's there instead? How many more of these we got? What about this next one, Dylan? You got another one. What about that one? Right? It could be, it could be all over the place. And we have this series of right decisions that actually line up to what, we, to what might be the will of God. And if we don't get that right, then there's all these other things, and it causes a lot of anxiety. Well, what if we miss that decision by just a little bit? <clears throat> then we're disappointing God. We'll be off just a little bit, and we, we, we think of it as this place of disappointment. And then furthermore, if we get outside of that All of these areas where God's just plain mad because we're not following his will, we haven't made the right choices, and because, as you can see, there's much more of a statistical chance that you're going to disappoint God or make him mad, oftentimes it keeps us in a place where we just don't take any step at all because we're too risk adverse, right? Or, gosh, I don't know if I can do that right, and so maybe we just don't do anything, or maybe we're taking steps with just so much fear, like a a dog with a shock collar on, that if you make the wrong noise, they're just going to zap you, right? Like like something's going to happen, you're going to disappoint him, you're going to make him mad. But I I want to petition to you guys today and talk through that I don't think this is right at all. Amen, right? Um, but I don't think that is how the will of God works. I think it's, it's quite a bit different. And unfortunately, this is the prevailing way that, that this is taught. And even more unfortunately, this is the way so many people understand it. That anytime you come to this decision tree, you better get it right, or you're just going to disappoint God. And how do I discern and take all factors into account on every stage of this? So what we're going to do today Is I'm gonna pray and we're gonna look at three biblical examples of when human beings actually found or walked in the will of God. And we're gonna see what that actually might show us about the will of God and following His will from a biblical perspective, not a human understanding of this judgmental, like heavenly Father that just wants you to make the perfect choice all the time. So I'm gonna pray and we're gonna look at the Bible and we're gonna see what we can learn. Sound good? So, God, thank you for today. Uh, Thank you that you are gracious, that you are loving. Uh, that you call us who have repented and put our faith in you, sons and daughters, and I pray that you would parent us through this today, that you would show us your heart, um, that you would show us the freedom that you would like us to live in when it comes to pursuing your will and what you have in any given circumstance. So Holy Spirit, speak through me. pray these words be yours, not mine, that they would fall on open, receptive hearts. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said... Amen. So let's start out with Acts 13, shall we? This is one of the examples in the New Testament where we find that people find the will of God in Scripture. Acts 13, verses 1 through 12. It says, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up in the, with Herod of the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Pallas. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. This is an interesting one here. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You You're going to be blind for a time, not able to see the light of the sun. And immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. There's a lot wrapped into there. Um, It's always nice to see how these stories come out that he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. But how did, at the very beginning of this, how did these guys determine the will of God? How did they determine the will of God? If we look at verses 2 and 3, how did they determine the will of God? They listened. The Holy Spirit told them, right? They listened. How hard is it to, ter- to determine the will of God when the Holy Spirit speaks? Now, we have to make sure that it's the Holy Spirit and not indigestion or the devil or some friend that's very unwise telling us what to do, right? But we need to make sure it's the Holy Spirit. We check that. But if he speaks, how hard is it to know what the will of God is? It's pretty cut and dry. Now, the next question is, why did they go to Cyprus instead of, say, Antioch or Galatia or Rome? Why Cyprus? It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit said, hey, go to Cyprus for what I have for you there. just said he sent them. He told them to go. Now, in the old, I'm going to call it the old because I'm believing God's going to move us through that first paradigm I talked about. That's the old way, amen? So in the old paradigm of thinking about following the will of God... They don't have all the information they need to know that they're taking the perfect step. God hasn't lined it all out for them. The Holy Spirit hasn't told them, hey, here's what I have for you. You're going to go to this place. You're going to talk to this person. You're going to say this. You're going to do this. You're going to lay hands on this. Like, that's not how it worked. But it said, I'm setting them apart for the work I have for them. But then we see the Holy Spirit sent them and they went to Cyprus. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit. But according to what we have to read... The Holy Spirit did not tell them where to go. So how did they decide to go to Cyprus? If this was the old way of following the will of God, you could just see them being just paralyzed with anxiety. Well, we could go here. Well, what about this? What about this? There's all these places. We know that this and this and this and this, and how do we, let's just not go anywhere and stay here because it's safe, right? How many times do we get caught in that place? Like, I only have limited information. I don't know that I can take that next step because what if it's, wrong? I don't want to disappoint God. So how did they know? How did they decide to go to Cyprus? Well, unless you know a little bit more about the biblical story, you wouldn't know that Barnabas is actually from Cyprus, one of the guys that was there. He was from there. So he apparently went to his home country because that's the place where he had relationships that he could engage in. God has said, "I'm setting you apart for my work. They know enough about the character of God, what his work is. They say, okay, where do I have relationships? Where can I go and carry out the way God's calling us to live? A little bit of wisdom in there. They could have went anywhere, but they just followed wisdom. Okay, God's work is to see his people reconciled to him, to take relationships from friends to being followers of Jesus, to take acquaintances into an eternal relationship with their Savior. Where is the ground tilled? Where is their soil that is ready to be planted and harvested? And he had relationships there. And so I would petition to you that general wisdom said, well, let's go to where I'm from and see what God might do in those relationships. The Holy Spirit said go, but at least according to what we know in the scripture, he didn't say where to go to. And they decided by wisdom to go to Cyprus. Another way we see uh, somebody following the will of God, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. If you're familiar with Exodus, you know kind of how this plays out. But how did God meet with Moses and reveal his will to him in this setting? A pretty miraculous divine intervention, right? Like, I haven't seen a burning bush that uh, the angel of the Lord appears in and it's not consumed. Like, I haven't experienced that yet. Um, can God still do that? Absolutely. But I haven't experienced that. So God divinely intervened, spoke to him, uh, in, this, in this burning bush moment, which from the two-year-old children's Bible all the way up through whatever translation you read, you've, this is something we grow up, we come into the church hearing this story. But what was Moses doing before God spoke to him? What was he doing? He was herding sheep for 40 years. He wasn't in seminary. He wasn't on some like staff position at a church on some track, working his way up the like ministry ladder to get in a place where he could go see the captive set free, right? Like He, he was herding his father-in-law's sheep, faithfully herding them for 40 years, and then God spoke to him through a burning bush. Now, like many of us, God spoke to him, and what did he do? He argued a little bit, right? Any of you guys argued with God and won before? No, so they argued, God wins arguments, and he went ahead, and and we we know how the rest of that story goes. So if we look at Moses, he waited, he was faithful in whatever season he had set before him, and then God divinely intervened and spoke to him through this bush, and he responded. That's another way we see somebody following the will of God, seeing the will of God. Now what's another story of an Old Testament shepherd? Anybody got any guesses? Old Testament shepherd... And give out gold stars, maybe that'll motivate us. Anybody heard of David in the Old Testament? Boy, you guys are tired. First Samuel chapter 17, verses 17 through 19. It says, Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephath of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are bringing back some assurance for them. Or see how your brothers are and bring back assurances from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Allah, fighting against the Philistines. So, right before this in chapter 16, David has been anointed to be the king of Israel. This happens in just the previous chapter. And then right here in chapter 17, basically his dad says, hey, take the boys some bread. They're in a war. Go, go get there and bring back assurances. Let me know if they're okay, but, but take them their stuff and then get back to your sheep. Now, as he gets down there, Goliath steps out and the scripture says, shouting his usual defiance. And all the guys are running away in fear, right? There's this, just this fear-stricken front lines of their military force. And David rolls in, and he's like, eh, I don't, I don't see what the big deal is. Now, you guys know the story of Goliath, right? Like, Goliath's not just some normal-sized dude. He's not just, like, some Olympic athlete, athlete strolling in there. like I think, like, heavyweight UFC champion, right? Like, this guy is a, is a champion, nine-foot-tall, Just, I mean, he's been eating guys like David since before David was born, and David shows up at the front lines, and he's like, why is this guy scaring you? I'll go kill him. I'll I'll, I'll go take care of this. Now, what does Saul say? Saul says, kid, do you know who this guy is? This guy's like heavyweight UFC champion. He's like twice the size of the biggest man we got on our side. This guy's going to annihilate you. Like, what are you doing? These guys are justified in being scared. And you just stroll in, 21-year-old little guy, 18-year-old, whatever he is. I wasn't there. And, and he's like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll go kill him. So he receives some wisdom. Saul's like, "Uh, eh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But then there's some cool stuff that happens if you read on. I don't want to ruin the story for you because we're not here to talk about David and Goliath today. We're here to talk about the will of God. Did David hear the voice of God like Moses did in the bush? Did he hear the voice of God in this? No. According to the scripture, he did not hear the voice of God. Did he get counsel? Yeah. Saul was like, bro, I don't don't know what you're doing. Did he follow the counsel? (laughs) Absolutely not. Did he follow his desire in this moment? Did he follow like a deep desire that he had? I don't have the scripture quoted here, but, but basically when David arrives, he's like, no, 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 like I'm going to handle this just like I have these other beasts because this guy, he's against the Lord and that ain't going to fly. Like I'm going to stand up for this and I'm going to go kill this dude. Like we got this dealt with. Like his desire was to see the Lord prevail and be honored in this because this guy was coming against him he's like, I've handled some beasts before. What's this? It's just another one. Like, I got the Lord with me. And his desire is to see God honored and glorified in this. And that's the heart that he goes into it with. He said, I can kill that guy. So yes, he he followed his desire. He desired this outcome. Now, it wasn't a selfish desire. It was a godly guided desire, as we know as we read on in that story. But he followed his desire to end this Goliath guy. A lot of times as Christians, we can tend to think that following the will of God means that we have to go against our own desire, that we have to go against our own desire. But for people who have been born again into Jesus, scriptures use words like regenerated, born again. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I don't think that every time we're following the will of God that it has to be fully against like, our desires because as we born again, regenerated, taking on the likeness of Christ as God's image bearers, our desires start to align with God's. And so I just don't think that's true. If you think, well, I, I, I want to do that deep down. I think that's right. Well, it can't be wrong because I'm just this horrible human. I don't think that's the case. David's desire was to take care of this guy here. He followed God's will. How do we know that? Because it says he's a man after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart. So, in these three examples, we see a handful of different ways that these people followed the will of God. First, we saw that in one of the stories, at least, they listened to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's a way we see in following the will of God. They applied wisdom. There was some general wisdom applied. Moses, he waited. He waited until he heard from God. There was divine intervention that we saw. There was a, a familiarity with the character of God, his mission, and what he wanted to happen on earth out of these folks. They followed their desires at times, and their hearts were directed towards God and the things of God. Their hearts were directed towards God. So I want to suggest to you guys today a few things that I believe we can employ in our lives, learning from what what the Bible actually has to say about following the will of God, not just this common misconception that causes anxiety and fear and analysis paralysis, but I believe God wants to bring us freedom from those things and an ability to walk forward pursuant of his heart and his will on this earth. And I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to cultivate a Christ-like heart. We need to cultivate a Christ-like heart. Matthew 22, 37, and 38 says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. What does a Christ-like heart look like? It loves God with everything it is, and it loves the neighbor as itself. Luke 10, 27, Jesus answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as Yourself. So what does a Christ-like heart look like? How do we cultivate it? We love God with everything we are, and we love others. Are we loving our neighbors as ourselves? Are we pursuing God in our daily lives, pursuing his scriptures, pursuing knowledge of him, learning what his character is, what his will is, his heart for his people? We need to cultivate a Christ-like heart. And that is the foundational ground, the soil that we are able to work in, follow his will. Second, we need to listen to God's word. We need to know his character and his moral guidelines. We need to know what his love language is, right? Like what what makes him tick? What what does it look like for me to respond to God's love in love the best I can? What does it look like to follow him, to love his people and his mission in my life? to reach the lost, to use my gifts for his service, to care about others with compassion, to care for the least of these. Like, what do these things look like? We need to listen to his word, not just acquire his word for knowledge, but apply it in our lives and help others do it in their lives as well. The third, I believe we need to live and act wisely. So we do that by seeking wise counsel. Have some people that have been somewhere before you and then successfully made it through it and then pursue them as wise counsel. Hey, I hear you've been through this. Would you mind talking through this with me? Help me understand what lessons you learned. What did you learn from God in this? Help, help me in this. Ask, does this make sense in a lens and in a filter of what I know about God, what I know it looks like to be Christ-like, what the scripture says about living our, my life, does this make sense? Does this fit into that or not? Use those things that you know as a filter. Act wisely. Is this in line with who God created me to be and who Christ is in me? Is it in line with those things? And have I really counted the cost and benefit including on other people with whatever decision? Have I counted the cost and benefit including on other people? Now, none of these alone suffices. You can't just cherry pick and say, ah, I like that one for this this setting. And well, in this decision, that one is, is a little more comfortable. Like all of these work in balance with one another, and we can exercise acting and living wisely when we apply these things, these thought processes. Follow the will of God. There's, a, there's just a living and acting out of wisdom in there. A the fourth thing, ask God. Inquire of God and allow for divine intervention. If you're like, man, I really don't know what God's heart is in this. I don't know what, what he would have me do. Well, in any relationship, if you're wondering what the other person's desire or their advice or their will is in something, a great place to start is asking them. A great place to start is asking them. And we, hopefully, we do this with our spouses, right? Hopefully, if you don't, let's talk. Hopefully, you would do that. If you have a close friend and you're just wondering something about, like, Like ask them, right? Don't just assume, or don't be fearful that you're not going to like the answer, so you don't ask them anyway. Everybody, anybody ever do that one? Like what? I don't know what God wants me to do, but I'm fearful that it'll be this, so I'm just not even going to ask him, and I can just avoid it, and maybe it'll pass over, and he'll he'll forget about it, right? Inquire of him, ask him, God, what would you have me do in this moment? I'm a little confused. I'm trying to cultivate a Christ-like heart. I'm exercising wisdom. I'm seeking counsel. But I'm, it's just not clear. God, what, what would you have me do? And then be open to him actually intervening divinely. Now, it may not look like a burning bush, but he can still meet you in those moments. He can still speak to you. He can still show you things. He can speak through other people, right? Like, allow him to do that. Don't be closed off to the ways that God might work. If you enter into these scenarios, like, God, show me something, but then you put it in a box of what you're gonna accept as a response, Good luck. Be open to how he might intervene. And here's one that some of you might struggle with. Do what would make you deeply happy if you process through those things. You're like, okay, what's your will, God? And and you get down to it. What deep down, at the deepest desires, what what might make you happy? Genesis tells us we're image bearers of God. And then when we're born again, we're given a new heart, a new nature. And as we pursue Christ-likeness, What makes us happy in our desires should progressively line up with the will of God. As we take on Christ's likeness, as we go on this journey of what the Bible will call sanctification, taking on Christ's likeness, being more and more like him, your deepest desires, not what just like makes you happy on the surface, but your deep desires, what you know to be right and good deep down should start to line up more and more with God's will. Therefore, what makes you happy, your desires, should be increasingly more in line with God over time. You don't have to just default, go against your desires because you think you're just like garbage and anything you would like can't be as good as what God would like. Now, if he tells you, you need to do this, and you're like, well, but my desire is this. There's something we need to talk about in there, right? Right? And this isn't the first thing. It doesn't say, do what makes you happy, then cultivate a Christ-like heart. Like, no, don't get this messed up. But as we go through these steps, we need to acknowledge that we have the Holy Spirit in us. We are a regenerated people pursuing sanctification and taking on the life of Christ as we progress through this life here on earth. And that, like, our desires are going to start to line up. So don't write that off. Just don't write it off. Don't let it be the main thing. But don't just shove it away like it's not a thing not the main thing, but it is something. But it's not the first thing on the list. I believe that when we understand that God's will looks more like this next one, it frees us up. So let's look at what this linear diagram actually looks like. So we got this whole set of graphic or of lines and decisions here. Side note, I actually had drawn these out And we have somebody that loves us enough named Casey that made them nice. So you guys didn't get to see my artwork. So thank you, Casey, for saving us. Anyway, that one was free. So you have all these decisions, right, like we looked at earlier. And what it actually looks like to be in the place of decisions that could be blessed is this. Maybe this is the places that would be a blessing that God would bless, that he would say, yeah, I can work in that. Now, this isn't to scale. This isn't like exactly, I'm not saying, hey, this is how many decisions out of how many decisions that God will bless. This is just to give us some imagery, okay? Now, may, now when we're off, we're way off, maybe down at the bottom here, these, this is what would be considered sinful. So we got, hey, this, this spectrum of stuff, when put through these filters, like those are places that God may bless. His will could very well be in there. And I think he'd be okay with those decisions. But down here, maybe we're following, um, you know, Bad counsel, not wise counsel. Maybe we're operating out of a place of not trying to take on a Christ-like heart, and we end up in a place that's sinful. And then maybe we just fully go against all wisdom, and uh, we're not reading our Bible and seeing the way that God's actually calling us to live, and we end up in this other place where it's just a stupid decision. <laughs> that's until you're about 30 and you're a male. That's where most of your decisions line up, I found, at least in my life. Um, Anyway, that's a whole nother sermon series. So maybe that's what it looks like. And maybe with some decisions, that purple area is smaller. Maybe the red area, maybe there's more landmines than that, more dangerous spaces. But when we look at that and we see all of those possible outcomes of being places that God might bless, instead of we just got to find the right one in any given moment, in any wrong decision along the way that we make, just puts us in a place where God is disappointed or mad at us. We live in oppression by the potential decisions we have in our lives. God wants to bring us freedom. Jesus came to set the captives free. God is not so small that he only has enough power to bless certain decisions you make. He's way more powerful than that. He can bring blessing in a spectrum of outcomes that you may be facing in your life. No, it doesn't mean ignore the Bible, just do whatever you want, never seek counsel. It doesn't mean any of that stuff. But what it does mean is we have a big God who's really gracious. And if we're honest with ourselves, what are the odds that any of us would actually pick the right decision anyway? I know a couple you might raise your hand because you're really fond of your decision making. But the reality is, if it's just one point, we're all just disappointing God or making him mad. And that is not how a gracious, loving father wants his kids to live. No, I'm not changing this because I believe God's too gracious to just have one point. I'm just saying what I know through the Bible about who God is, what I see in the Bible about the different ways in which people walk in the will of God and He reveals His will to them, is not so narrow that it's just the right one all the time, micromanaged, and I'm just gonna be disappointed and be super passive aggressive if I'm God and just shake my head in disappointment because you didn't choose the perfect one. That's not how He is, He's not that insecure. He's way more loving and gracious and powerful than that. And if we are being Christ-like, cultivating a Christ-like heart, if we are pursuing his truth, his word, wisdom, all of these things, like there's a whole spectrum of things that he might bless in any given decision. A whole spectrum. And I believe that we experience freedom from the truth rather than oppression from a false understanding of how our Heavenly Father sees us, our decisions, and our lives. Worship team, you can come back up. So maybe you have some decisions to make in your life. Maybe you have decisions about a job. Should I work here or here? You weigh out all the possible options, all the benefit packages you seek wise counsel, you say, God, are any of these in line with what you have for me? Do you have a preference here? And maybe he says, actually, I do. And all of a sudden, three of four doors close. And you're like, all right, thanks, God, divine intervention. There's your burning bush moment. Maybe it's about a future spouse, and it's not about you have to weed through and find a needle in a haystack, and in all the cities in all the world, you've got to find the right one or God's not going to bless it. You see how poisonous that is? If you just think God's got one right choice out there, instead of, so, gosh, he could bless a number of things. If I'm following him, his heart, being more like Jesus. Maybe it's how many kids you should have. Well, you know, we really felt like we're going to have two. And the second go around, we had twins. Gosh, we're out of God's will. Like, that's so stressful. Like, no. Who put the twins in you in the first place? Maybe he had three for you. When it comes to money, should I give this, or this, or should I give to this, or what, what should I do? Should I give it all? What does the Bible say? What does having a Christ-like heart look like? What does generosity look like in the Bible? And there could be a, a plethora of decisions that you could make that God is gonna bless and that are gonna glorify and honor him. Where should I buy a house? Which school should my kids go to? Which college should I go to? There's so many decisions. And if we just think we have to dig around and find the right one, odds are, it's just going to keep us from making any decision at all in being a soldier in the name of Jesus to see his kingdom advance in this world. We need to cultivate a Christ-like heart. We need to be like Jesus. We need to choose Scripture over sin. We need to choose wisdom over stupidity. Can a pastor say that? Sure. We need to ask God what he thinks. And we need to follow what our deepest desires are as we take on Image of God in our lives. If you run things through those filters, you get to experience a spectrum of decisions in your life that God may bless instead of living in fear and anxiety that you're going to get it wrong. God wants you to experience freedom. He wants you to be able to pursue Him, not be shackled down by your own failures and insecurities. And I wonder what it might look like if we could be a people liberated from our own analysis and be able to walk just powerfully, knowing who God is, what his mission here on earth is, and how we can partner with that, and seeing where he might be, bring blessing that we never saw it coming. Okay, so we go.
0: Would you stand with me? Lord God, we just thank you that you are not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And Lord, we repent of the ways that we've applied our confusion, the overprocessing that we do onto you, God, the ways that that's reflected negativity that we've cast off on you. You're not, a, you're not a God of confusion, you're a God of peace. And Lord, we thank you for these steps. God, we thank you for these, these paths that you've given us. That we can determine, what is your will? What are the callings that you've put on my life? God, thank you that we're not left on our own to find the one path to make every single decision 100% correctly. But God, we get to walk in your grace. God, we get to explore our passions. We get to figure out the ways that you've designed us and made us to be beneficial and to be a blessing in, in many settings, in many places, in many different situations and opportunities. But God, we just pray that our hearts would come alive to this, God. Lord, would you solidify in us the peace that if we're walking if you're in your way, if we're pursuing a Christ-like heart, if we're choosing scripture over sin, if we choosing your wisdom and choosing uh, to, to overlook um, dumb or stupid ways, God, uh, Lord, you are willing to intervene in our life. You're willing to point us in the direction that you, uh, the, the, maybe even the multiple directions that you could take things, God. So Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. And God, we trust you with our hearts. We trust you with our lives. And we thank you that you have given us a beautiful life to exemplify the incredible ways that you've designed us, God. We thank you, Lord. Amen.